When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the post-game edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad, Andrew Gillis, Mike Nizek with you as the Bengals feast and claw on the Dirty Birds, 35-17. The score speaks for itself. The stats speak for itself. The Bengals offense, if it wasn't back already, it is soaring. It is attacking. And this is exactly what Joe Burrow said the Bengals are. Did, did the score speak for itself? Because... It, oh, I mean, well, it felt, almost. It felt a heck of a lot worse than 35-17. to 17. That game was never close. The Bengals led 21 to nothing. They led 28-7. to 7. And then the Falcons scored to cut it to two touchdowns. And the only reason that it ever got to 11 was because of a 57-yard punt return right before the half. And a, and and a touchdown burn right, from Eli Apple. Right into that. And it, so then, then it's 28-17 to 17 at half. So... I, I mean, maybe this not, was maybe not the final score, but it was this, twenty-eight to three at one point. That's, that's no, it was twenty-eight matters. to seven at one point. Twenty-eight to yeah. seven, and then um, oh, I was thinking of twenty-eight three because it's the Falcons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> twenty-one seven and, and twenty-eight twenty-one seven twenty-eight seven twenty-one nothing. It really was not ever close. Um, right. Like I think anything that we talk about here with the offense in a negative way is going to be nitpicking. Uh, of course. Because they were absolutely outstanding. Um, I'll be the one to bite the bullet and read the numbers here. Joe Burrow, 481 yards, uh, 34 of 42 passing, three touchdowns. Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase combined for, let's see, 285 yards. Ooh. T. Higgins had 93 yards receiving. So he, And he had one catch at the end that was like six or seven yards. So he was almost there. They got called back. He was almost <laughs> there. So they almost had three receivers with 100 yards each. Man. They – absolutely kicked the Falcons' ass today. This was, was ridiculous. That's, well, and the Falcons, crazy. we should mention, uh, the, the Leakers' secondary right. uh, lost uh, A.J. Terrell. They lost another backup as well in the second half. Uh, who was that? I can't Oh, Ford. Um, so, I mean, they were really shorthanded. And once Terrell went down, uh, a practice player, uh, Cornell Armstrong, came in, uh, was matched up against Jamar Chase, and that was a bad matchup for him. Chase went down, scored a touchdown a couple of plays later right at the start of the second quarter. Um, so they were just overwhelmed and overmatched. And so whatever happened offensively, kind of what they wanted to do went out, went out the window. Uh, Joe Burrow, after the game, said, look, that was the game plan. We were going to pass uh, and, and pass early, pass often. Uh, that's what they did. They scored a 60, on a 60-yard pass right at the start. Uh, a, a guy got tripped up with a strong safety, got tripped up in coverage. He actually had two guys open down the field. So, I mean, this was this was the offense you kind of expected at the start of the season with a, with a string of explosive plays in the first half. Uh, you go up 21 nothing, and then it's really uh, pretty easy from there on out. I mean, the only kind of – there was a moment right at the start of the third quarter where, you, you know, the Falcons had an opportunity. They go three and out to start the second half, and then it's, I think yeah. it's over. yeah. Uh, but because they did get ten unanswered right at the right in the final minute uh, with a couple of busts, one was a special teams, one was in coverage, um, kind of rare miscues, kind of back to back for um, the Bengals. But we should also mention for the defense, 
uh, you know, another second half, no touchdowns allowed, um, and, and, you know, playing complimentary football. And then, you know, we haven't mentioned also the offensive line, which was the first thing Zach Taylor said uh, right at the start, this, this uh, starting group playing with a lot of confidence, uh, a lot of couple of sacks, but, um, you know, he mentioned that it was all dropbacks and that, that Joe Burrow had kind of the perfect pocket to step up and throw it, and that's kind of what allowed him to distribute the, uh, the ball like a point guard uh, throughout the game. And so, you know, that was the, the first thing he said. I think he's very happy uh, with the way of sh- way things have shaken out. Yeah, they it, like as soon as it starts, I mean, we, we've, we've talked a lot, probably more than I ever thought we would on this podcast about coin tosses and what you want to do with coin tosses. And the Bengals elected to take the ball and right off the bat, you throw the 60-yard bomb to Boyd. And I I mean, I don't know about you guys, but right when that happened, I kind of had that thought like, oh, so it's going to be one of those days. Because for so much of this season, the Bengals have kind of operated in this scheme where once they get rolling, they don't really get stopped. Like Now, they've had really slow starts. They've had, at the beginning of the season, the first couple of games, they've been pretty terrible for you, I guess you could say, for the first half, for the first couple of drives, however long. But once they get the offense rolling, you kind of can point to the fact and say, okay, so it's going to be one of these days. They scored touchdowns on their first four drives. And like I said, there was never a moment today where I was like, well, the Falcons might have a – like, no, like it, it was really it was over it's Zach pretty Taylor much early. Doing a good job of playing to his team's strength. Agreed. Look, the defense has been lights out in the second half, so them getting the ball to start the second half means less when you're not allowing any touchdowns. Right. And so the offense, uh, you know, the first time he did it, they succeeded. The second time, you know, he's built some confidence in the group that they're going to reward him with those decisions. They did it again, and I could see them doing this another time, uh, depending on the matchup, just because they've given him, um, you know, two for two this season when they've taken the, the when they've won the toss and taken the ball, they've gone down and scored, and that's that that means a lot. You know, that I think that gives him confidence going forward that these are those those decisions that need to be made because this team does play. You know, he joked that you win all the games you play ahead from or you know you're leading in, which is obvious, but. This team seems to be better early when they have a lead right off the bat of just kind of getting in a groove and, and being able to dictate the game rather than playing from behind, which we've seen too many times this season. You know, I definitely want to get to that complimentary football that Michael mentioned in the defense later. But, you know, I think to anyone who maybe has a contrarian point of, oh, you know, the Bengals offense is good, but they played the second worst passing defense in the league, fifth worst defense overall like we've talked about well i would say to that i mean think about the first touchdown jamar chase had he beats two defenders i understand it wasn't terrell because at that point he was hurt like michael mentioned with a hamstring injury i think even if that's aj terrell it's just as bad for the defender at that point like that is what makes jamar chase so elite as we all know but it goes without saying that that speed the way that he was able to hold the ball after he juggled it for a split second that's what makes him elite and then Yards after catch speaks for itself. That's pretty much what got him that second touchdown. He cuts from the outside after getting near the sideline. No one's touching him. And that is what really made him so explosive. And, I mean, how fitting is it for Tyler Boyd? A seventh-year receiver, one of the longest-tenured players on the Bengals, not just offensively or at wide receiver. And he has that 60-yard touchdown you guys mentioned. And he had it that early and that quick. You know, he said after the game that, like, to to be in that leadership position, he knows he has to step up. And he's been getting the ball more, at least within the last two or three weeks. And good for Brian Callahan. Good for Zach Taylor. I mean, obviously... There was like seven different people that got the ball today, which that in and of itself is also a winning formula because against the Saints, 
It wasn't just Jamar Chase's breakout game. Tyler Boyd had a good game. T. Higgins had his first true good game after hurting his ankle. So when they all work together like that, which we'll talk more about later, as far as, you know, like Zach Taylor said and, you know, uh, Joe Burrow said, not having those egos, they, you, the stat speaks for itself. I mean, the way they play, it shows there are no egos. They can all do it all. And that's why I've been saying, on paper, this is the best wide receiving trio, not just in the AFC North. There's a good argument. This is the best receiving trio in the NFL, hands down, lights out. Yeah, I, I mean, this this offense, like we had talked so much last week, you know, is this kind of what they want to be? I, I mean, I think that's pretty much what it is. I mean, Joe Burrow threw the ball 42 times today. Joe Mixon only ran at 17. Uh, they had 21 carries, so they, they doubled up their pass attempts compared to their run attempts. And then, you know, I, I had brought up, you know, you don't want targets to kind of go away from from Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, but it doesn't matter if Tyler Boyd gets nine targets and Hayden Hurst gets eight targets. If Jamar gets 11 and Higgins gets seven, like they were able to just control the pace of the game, which I thought was important. Um, I, I like their offense was so good today. I, I feel like we can get into this with the defense, but the Falcons offense is utterly perplexing and i don't know how falcons fans do it if there are any falcons fans listening to this my deepest condolences to you for the last eternity of being a falcons fan because my goodness gracious um that i just i don't i don't understand what their what their concept is or what their goals are but i i think that that's a good juxtaposition of like what the bengals have here because you're talking about a falcons offense that drafted kyle pitts fourth they drafted Drake London in the first round. I, I forget what number he went at, but you got two first-round picks on in your receiving core, and I get that they don't have the quarterback, but you've got those two guys, and today they combined four, four catches and 18 yards. Like, it, it just, I think it just kind of goes to show you how talented and how special this Bengals offense really is when they are all clicking because you have Jamar Chase. T. Higgins was essentially a first-round pick. Uh, he was a 33rd overall pick. So you got similar levels of, of, of draft capital there. And like I said, I get that the quarterback is so important to this. But Marcus Mariota threw the ball 13 times today, and he never took the field when the Falcons were either tied or leading. So it just they the Bengals trust Joe Burrow so much, so much more than a lot of other teams trust their quarterback. And you see the results of what happens when you have a situation like that today. I mean, to that, not that it even matters, but speaking of Atlanta, I wonder at this point if you even think about Desmond Ritter because I mean that that was well, not this a, is good a, performance. a Bengals podcast. So I'm not <laughs> I know it's, well, it's for Cincinnati. I would have liked. Well, that would have been nice for Bengals fans. I would have seen. I would have liked to have seen the Bengals go up like. 35 to 3 or 10 or 7, whatever it was, and you know, 42. And, he, and, he and then you in. put in Ritter in Cincinnati. That would have been cool. I would. I thought he would have gotten a nice ovation if he had come into Oh, yeah. Game. Well, ironically, Mariota prevented that from happening with that, that bomb uh, beating. Yeah. Uh, oh, know, yeah. Happened. More than half of his total yards came on that play. But uh, that might Crazy. be a good transition to the defense since that was, I think, the biggest storyline kind of spinning out of this on the defensive side of the ball that uh, Eli Apple found himself on the bench for long stretches. Right. Uh, which is surprising. Uh, obviously, a veteran uh, corner, and then Cam Taylor Britt, um, who's been, uh, you know, was injured to start the season, came off the inactive list. Really, was used as a scout team player to play Lamar Jackson two yeah. weeks after that. Now, finds himself kind of playing 
uh, some important um, snaps. And, and I think it is kind of surprising. I think um, maybe that play highlighted some of uh, Apple's liabilities in terms of athleticism um, and everything we've been told about Cam uh, Taylor Britt is that his athleticism and his sort of intangibles through the roof. are, are oh, yeah. sort of crazy. This kid can throw the ball seven yards and run a 4-3 and, and do all this crazy stuff. And so, yes, he's raw, but does his athleticism make him more valuable going forward than Eli Apple? And I think that's an interesting well, some, something to watch here, especially as you get to sort of better passing uh, opponents. You know, did they play him here because it's an easy, you know, you're asking not much of him because, you know, you're, like you said, 13 – pass attempts so yeah. <laughs> most of the time you're not you know you're not putting him in those high set situations or is it that you want to get him ready to be able to take on a bigger role um you know and, and Lou was very forceful about not rotating exactly yeah I, th- I think earlier that, in that season I think that you hit the nail on the head and I think it's column a and column b I think that it was the perfect situation because I I'd have to go back and look at the film but the first time that I noticed Cam going into the game was when the Bengals were up 21 nothing um, so they had had the ball three times, and it was the Falcons' third possession of the game. So for the first two possessions, Cam Taylor-Britt's on the sideline. He comes into the game, and then at, by that point, you're like Mike mentioned, you're talking about an offense that apparently has a phobia of throwing the ball, and <laughs> you're putting Cam Taylor-Britt in the game. You're putting a guy in a situation where he's not going to be asked to do a lot. Like Mike said, you have a 21-point lead. You're at home. Like, there there wasn't a lot of risk there, and I think that this was a good situation to kind of get him into the fold here because, you know, Lou Anarumo talked a couple of weeks ago. He doesn't like rotating corners. Like, that's just not something he likes to or do. Or he said anybody in the second Yeah, he, especially he, he starters. wants those guys to play together, but I think that this presented a unique opportunity because I think it's foolish to think Eli Apple and Cheeto and Jesse Bates and Von Bell are going to go through this season 17 games, all of them. So this was a good opportunity, I think, to get Cam Taylor Britton. I mean, he was their second-round pick. Like they, they believe in this kid clearly. So I think this was a nice situation to get him some game reps, get him into the mix, start to get him inclim- uh, acclimated Excuse me, to the defense because you're going to play Cleveland next week, and – I'm not really sure what they can do through the air. And then you're going to play Carolina, who I'm not really sure what they can do through the air. Or in general. And Yeah. <laughs> well, they beat, the, they beat the Bucks today. So That's crazy. But, so the, but I think what this kind of did was this set up a nice little three-game stretch for, for Cam Taylor-Britt. Then you get a bye week. Then you get into the stretch of games where you're going to have to run more nickel packages. You're going to run have to run a lot more dime and stuff like that because when Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Tom Brady come to town and you're playing these guys, you're going to need Cam Taylor Britt. Well, right, and, right, and, Daniel and later. A lot of these players do get sort of territorial about snaps and everything, So, uh, but Lou has experience with Eli and knows him pretty well, yeah. so hopefully – um, you know, it sounded like this was communicated before the game that yeah, they were going to give that's him. That's what Cam said. Um, uh, and that's what chance, Coach said. Yeah, that's what Zach Taylor said too. That look, this wasn't, you know, even though it kind of coincided with Eli getting beat for that long touchdown, that's, it wasn't necessarily sort of a one and one response that they had sort of pre-planned uh, him getting to the game. But you never know how players react to that. You know, there is an ego component to it in terms of, you know, you're losing snap. You know, like, look, you want to feed your family. You don't want to lose snaps because then you lose playing time. You lose uh, your spot. So, um, you know, Eli Apple is not going to want to give up a spot. You know, I, I know he wants to help the team and, you know, be selfless in that way. But it's hard to do that when a younger guy uh, could surpass you on the depth chart, um, you know, by playing more. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, Coach Taylor mentioned, yeah, this was planned. Uh, this wasn't something that came spontaneously. It was going to happen. But, you know, it, it, it is so crazy, though, that it does coincide because, like, we t- I talked a little bit this week about concerns I had with Eli Apple where, like, he almost got – really did get burned against the Saints last week. I mean, there was one touchdown the Saints should have had. I think it was Marquez Callaway who was on him. But uh, he just – I think Callaway dropped the ball. And then on that last play of uh, – Regulation, or at least for offensively uh, for the Saints. I mean, he almost got burned again by Callaway until Dax Hill came to the rescue. So I'm not going to sit here and be like the Eli Apple hater by no means because there's a reason why Anna Rumo is comfortable with him and doesn't like to rotate hard starters, including him. But uh, like you said, Michael, yeah, I mean, I like to see what, you know, Cam Taylor Britt will do down the stretch because, I mean, another good point to what you said, Andrew, I mean, for Bates and Bell and Awuzie. And Apple to play all 17 games, all those snaps, that's tough. And, I mean, especially once you get down the home stretch where things get more difficult, uh, I think we'll, we'll see more of that. More of Dax Hill, too, who was drafted one round ahead of Cam, Cam Taylor Brand. I've talked a lot about how he would be great uh, in cover six packages or deep coverage packages. But I think defensively, too, uh, what's so outstanding is, you know, there's no DJ Rito, Reader, no Josh Tupo, no Logan Wilson. This is cliche, but no problem. I mean, Akeem Davis-Gaither led the team in combined tackles. Jay Tefeli, uh, Zach Carter, I think they each had about five or six tackles. So they combined for a double-digit total. And it's not just the tackles. I mean, the Falcons they only really rushed for a little over 100 yards, 170 yards. And this is the third best rushing offense in the NFL. Atlanta is. And so, you know, we talk about next man up. It's cliche. But, I mean, that next man up mentality, it really came through. Uh, I know they kind of mixed up those those the uh, it just, they had kind of a five two package to start the game. They rotated it with a a four three mix, so they kind of had some different looks there. But I mean, no matter what they were giving the Falcons, the Falcons weren't getting any, anything else out of it. Yeah, I mean the the defense played really well, like you were talking about, and I think that one of the things that has got to be most encouraging here is that you did it in a manner that not many people would have expected. I think we, on our prediction podcast, I think we all were kind of like, the Bengals are going to win this game handily, some of us to varying degrees. I had the closest prediction, we, by the way, just saying. Well, congratulations, I'll bring you a cake on Monday. Appreciate um, it. But uh, the, we all were kind of predicting that the, the Falcons were going to run the ball, and they really didn't. They had 3.7 yards of carry. Now that drive, they went on, um, as I scroll through my notes here, they went on a, a pretty long drive. I think it was 16 plays, if I'm not mistaken. It was over yeah, 10 16 minutes. 16 plays, again, 75 yards, took 10 minutes off the clock. The rest of their drives went 18, 7, uh, let's see, 75 on that one touchdown, uh, the, the deep bomb, uh, 1, 7, 9, and 23 yards. They had no other drive other than that last more than 3 minutes and 30 seconds. So... The Bengals' defense really kept that. Besides that one drive, they really got them off the field. And and I think that when you have an offense that is playing as well as the Bengals' offense is, and what they're capable of, getting the ball in Joe Burrow's hands. I know this sounds very stupid, but it's it's what you got to do. You've got to get the He's ball. He's the king to of Joe. the jungle. You've got to get Joe Burrow the ball, and you've got to let that offense kind of create because. If you're doing that two, three times a game where defense or where opposing offenses are putting eight-minute drives on you, that's going to kill you. And even with a quick-strike offense like the Bengals have, so, you know, I think with the guys that they have out, 
and the way that they did it, there's I mean, there's a lot of reason for optimism. I think if you're if you're looking for the Bengals defense, kind of where to go from here. Yeah, and I think that's the good side of it, and not to be the Debbie Downer, but the downside of it is Trey Hendrickson leaves the game, uh, doesn't return. I think it was with a neck injury. So that means you could go into Cleveland without Logan Wilson. Well, I mean, I think there's a few steps to get to there. I mean, Trey, we should note, walked out under his own power. Yep. Uh, was very upset sort of about, I think, the play that, that he was injured on. Um, they ruled him out while they were out with six minutes to go up 35-17. So, yeah. man, there's really no reason for Trey Hendrickson to even come back. And I mean, he should have been dressed. Right, home. So, right. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the you know, they didn't have an update after the game, but to say that, you know, he's going to be out, I think would be kind of premature. I think that he looked, you know, he was on the ground and getting, you know, getting looked at. But when you make it off on your field under your own power, um, I think that, uh, the, the, you know, the players didn't sound overly concerned that there was something, you know, you know, long term wrong with them. Like DJ, I think the, right. the feeling was that, you know, that could be costly, whereas this, you know. Um, I think you feel good. He's not, you know, from the sound of it, wasn't a concussion-related issue because they didn't announce that. So that, you know, you avoid having to deal with that. Those are good signs. Yeah, I think yeah. The, the the big story for next week with injuries is obviously Trey is probably going to be the, the number one injury concern. Of course, that's what I meant to say. Um, when you talk about this next week. But, like, the you got out of this game, I don't th- – I, I think the way to phrase it is what, what's the line from Django Unchained uh, you, at first now you have my movie. attention oh you gotta see that movie great I should. but I it's should. like I, now you have I, you had my curiosity now you have my attention I think right now we're just a curiosity for, for injuries right now um, T Higgins looked like he kind of tweaked something on that last drive um, I mean he's played the last two games so you know he looked fine in the locker room but that's something to monitor Jamar Chase Played in the second half after tweaking something at the end of the first half. Again, I wouldn't expect anything serious, but it is something to monitor if he's not going to make if he's not going to play in practice. Then you get to Trey Hendrickson. Then you get to Leo Collins. He has an ankle injury now. Then you get to that's right. I didn't make the mention. So there are there are things that are going to mount, but I don't think they're going to be any long term concerns. You're seven weeks into the season. That's what happens. Right. Exactly. Players are going to play through it. Collins came back in the second half. And uh, I mean, it's Cleveland, so I mean, you know, and it's yeah, Monday Night Football, and and you have the bye week right after that, so you know, I think or no, the, the week after that week. Do I keep doing that? Isn't it? <laughs> it's Cleveland, Cleveland, Carolina bye. Is Carolina? You want to go on vacation so bad? So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, we're going to get to the dog days. No, to be fair, I think they've changed. To be fair, Carolina might basically so. just be a bye anyway. So maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, it, it it has a feel of like Alabama playing like Utah State or Samford like right before a bye week, and then you play like Tennessee in the regular season. I swear they move the schedule around every time. I check it. That's what I think the problem is. I don't understand why they keep doing that to me. Hey, it's it's, it's all good. It's all good. We're, we're we're just looking out for you, Mike. But no, like you said, um, yeah, we're gonna get to the dog days. I mean, once we get to the bye week, we're literally at the exact halfway point. So it is to be expected. I didn't mean to say that Hendrickson would be out. That would be premature. It's just something to look at, uh, especially to see how much he practices. Same with Jamar. I know he was a little bit limited uh, at least Wednesday, Thursday with uh, hip issues, but it didn't look anything like there were any issues today. So uh, they should be in good shape. Again, the, the biggest thing, and we'll talk more about this later when we talk about the Browns, is obviously it would be nice to have DJ Reader, although I wouldn't really – bank on that since I think with you know with with the depth I mentioned with Tefeli and Carter and 
Cam Sample, uh, who played a couple good snaps today. I mean, aside from one PI, they all looked pretty good up front. So you you have that confidence if you're Zach Taylor, if you're Lou Anarumo, if you're you know Marion Hobby, that this defensive line yeah. can at least do enough against Cleveland, you know, with or without DJ. And we Reader. we talked about this last week. Joe Joe Burrow mentioned this on I believe it was his Wednesday press conference. Um, I don't think it was after the Saints game, but he said. This, these next three games are going to be what he thinks controls the rest of their season. And check, check number one is off, and you got two more to go. And I think today it gave you a lot of – it gave it like – I don't know how you can leave Paycor Stadium today without feeling very, very good about where the Bengals are as an entire outfit, offense, defense, special teams – like, they've won four of their last five games. Like, Zach Taylor even kind of mentioned that. Like, at the beginning of the year, everybody was asking him, oh, you're 0-2 now. He lost two straight games by field goals, blah, 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 blah. And he kind of joked in the press conference today where he's like, remember how at the beginning of the year I was telling everybody, you know, calm down? Well, here they are. They're 4-3. They're and three. You've got a massive one next week against Cleveland. Cleveland's 2-5. and five. Like, Cleveland, you beat Cleveland. Cleveland might be buried underneath the that's, river. I think that's the one. coffin nail. Like, like, that, like Dan Horton's coffin nail. That might be it. Um, and then you get Carolina, who God knows what, who's even going to be on their team by that point. <laughs> so today was a win that not you had to have, but it was a win that was very, very important. Now you've you've kind of given yourself, if you even if you split these next two, you're going to go into the bye week with a winning record. And today just felt so crucial in that regard for the Bengals because now you get – Two games, you get a bye week, and then who knows from there. But this was a win that just, I think, not only that it happened, I think the way it happened was very, very important. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Joe Burrow said that these next three games could determine just, like you said, uh, the first half of the season. And so, yeah, if you go to the bye week with a 6-3 and three record, I mean, like you said, you got Pittsburgh who isn't great after that on Sunday night. But unless they flex it Sunday night game and then, man, you go at Tennessee – uh, you come home and face Cleveland again, and I like I said, uh, depending on how next week goes, they'll probably already be buried underneath at that point, but they'll have nothing to lose, so they might even play their tails off at that point, but then, man, Kansas City, Buffalo, uh, Tampa Bay, New England, like, we'll, we'll talk way more about this down the line, but when you have a really, really long month at the very end of the season, you look back and appreciate games like this, so I definitely see where you're coming from on that front, but with all of that said... What a day, what a win, what a finish for the Bengals. Tune in tomorrow. We'll have more breakdowns and takeaways from this game that, you know, we'll we'll think about as we go out through the week and we'll start talking about, you know, the Browns and that opponent and how significant that'll be. But thanks so much for tuning in. Once again for myself, Andrew Gillis, and Michael Nizek. I'm Mohammed Ahmad. We'll see you tomorrow.